Hey, Mark, you know I've been spending a lot more time in Denmark recently. Yeah, the uh, bakery date uh, is in the calendar still. Well, it being a Nordic country uh, and everything, I found the perfect solution to streaming all those lovely films and TV shows that we review whilst I'm there. Well, what on earth would that perfect solution be, Simon? Well, Nord VPN, of course. You see, it's Nord Nordic. Yeah, no, no, yeah. It's I get it. Moving on. With one click, NordVPN can change my device's virtual location so I can access all the content I need when I'm abroad. I can now watch poor things, whether in London or Paris. Why even wait until you're on holiday? You can do it right now and access content in over 61 different countries, unlocking all this content for less than a price of a Pano Raisin a month. Pano Raisin. Pano Raisin. To take our huge discount huge. off your NordVPN plan, go to nordvpn.com take. Our link will also give you four extra months for free on the two-year plan. Now, back to the show. One of us deals with the body situation while the other one of us deals with the crazy aid situation. In a scenario like this, I don't suppose it is bad form to just flip a coin. Heads or tails? No, I'll, I'll do the, the body and the acid, okay? Heads or tails? Hello, I'm Ben Bailey-Smith. And I'm Sasha Bates. And thank you for joining us on Shrink the Box. This is where we put TV's most intriguing fictional characters into therapy. We psychoanalyze the likes of Tony Soprano, Don Draper, and Fleabag. Sasha here is the expert, of course, an integrative psychotherapist. Me, I'm an actor, scriptwriter, and have had therapy myself and, uh, and still having a bit more, so I know a bit about finding narrative professionally and personally. At the top there, we heard a clip from what, Sasha? That was Breaking Bad oh. from the AMC network in 2008. And we're going to be looking at Walter White. Yes. Often thought to be one of the greatest fictional characters ever created. Oh, man, I can't tell you how pleased I am that we're kicking off this one with Walter. You know, I don't think many of us had seen a show quite like it before. But the more I look back on it, and I've just rewatched the entire series even though there's so many crazy things happen the thing that really still pulls us in is that this is somebody that we all recognize as a normal person a school teacher who as the americans say breaks bad feels like a sliding doors thing because all of us wonder what would have happened if i changed something fundamental in my life when the opportunity arose yeah, I mean, I think that's why it's so brilliant, because it looks at what does turn a, a, a good person bad, to put it simplistically. But what's also great is that they never do just look at it simplistically. Mm -hmm. They look at all the nuance and the complexity and what might push somebody to change his character so radically. Absolutely. And what is good or bad? Mm. Like, can you do a bad thing for a good reason? Mm. Can you do good things for bad reasons? I think that that's a constant question that the uh, the writers and the performers are posing us with throughout the show, mm. which uh, makes it so constantly intriguing, regardless of whether you're into, you know, violence or drugs or what, you know, whatever the, uh, the plot might, uh, whatever line the plot might take you down. And for those of you who need a reminder, 
<laughs> anyone out there who hasn't got around to watching this show uh, is chemistry teacher Walter White who's been diagnosed with terminal lung cancer. That's when we meet him. And he teams up with his own former student, Jesse Pinkman, to make, or in, in their terminology, cook and then sell crystal meth, methamphetamine. Walter does it initially to save money for his family and, you know, uh, the cost of fighting cancer. But then obviously he gets in too deep. Um, we should say there's going to be spoilers galore in our discussions and there's going to be some adult language. So coming up, we've got explosions, why sex gets better with danger and why the hell Walt's always in his underpants. Ladies and gents, it's Shrink the Box. Okay, it's uh, it's 2pm, it's a Wednesday, uh, Sasha's just got back from lunch and her next client is awaiting with the magazines in reception. Sasha, tell us about your next client, Walter White. Walter is, as you said, he's a chemistry teacher, but he's not just a chemistry teacher. He has so little money that he also works as a car wash attendant. Hmm. He lives in Albuquerque in New Mexico. He's got lung cancer and he's married to Skylar, who is uh, about seven months pregnant with their second child. Their first child is a teenager, Walt Jr., and he's got cerebral palsy. Classic accidental pregnancy. <laughs> it seems to be that way, yes. <laughs> Some other characters that loom large in Walt's life are his brother-in-law, Hank, who is a drug enforcement agency officer. Real man's man, kind yeah. of. Very manly, almost yes. too manly. Yeah, you would not, I mean, if I was Walt, I would not really want Hank as my brother-in-law. He shows up everything that Walt isn't. Pretty intense. Yeah. yeah. And then Hank's wife, who is Skylar's sister, is called Marie. She um, flirts with kleptomania as we come to see that, you know, she she also has her own kind of darker side. She pinches shoes. She pinches a tiara. Um, Interesting character. Very mm. sort of anxious, kind of kind of constantly on edge. Yeah, she does seem to have a sort of nervous energy mm. about her. Very different to Skylar, as mm. sisters often are. So let's reacquaint ourselves with Walter White and the figure that looms largest in his life, Jesse Pinkman. You got nothing. Square one. But you know the business, and I know the chemistry. I'm thinking maybe you and I could partner up. You, uh, you want to cook crystal meth? You. You and, uh, and me. <laughs> That's right. Wow. Either that, or I turn you in. The incredible Brian Cranston there as Walter White alongside Aaron Paul playing Jesse Pinkman from episode one, pilot of Breaking Bad series one. Vince Gilligan is the creator, head writer and director of Breaking Bad, made by Highbridge and Granvia Productions in association with Sony Pictures for American Movie Classics. It's available to stream on Netflix. We'll give you the full credits for all the clips used at the end of this podcast. Sasha, if Walt came to you, what would his initial problem be, do you think, just trying to sort of preempt what he might bring to the table? Well, he's been handed a death sentence. He's been told that his lung cancer is inoperable. And so he is facing, he's confronting his own death, which is quite a wake up call for anyone. And it can lead people, it often does, lead people into kind of thinking not just about the time they've got left, but reflecting back on how they've lived their lives to date. And yeah, well, like I, a lot of people would start thinking, 
is this all there is? Could I have done more? Could I be more? What can I be? Mm. But interestingly, and I really felt this the second time I watched it, he's about 10 years older than his wife, Mm. who's very attractive, still looks, you know, in the prime of her life. He looks like he's lived a life. Some of the decisions, even stepping into a room for therapy, could be down simply to his age. We do see him at his 50th birthday party. And yeah, I mean, poor old uh, Walt, you know, he's really washed up. He's hopeless. He's got this second job. His The students in his class don't respect him. Skylar doesn't seem to respect him. She sort of infantilizes him, tells him what to say and what to do a little bit. When we saw, just mentioned before about Hank, the brother-in-law, even at Walt's own 50th birthday party, Hank makes fun of him because he doesn't know how to hold a gun properly. They then all have to stop the party and watch Hank be on telly, being interviewed about a big drugs bust. So he he shows up everything that Walt isn't. Yeah. Is it normal? Is it usual? Is it something you see often to sort of come alive uh, or, or come out of your shell and find purpose in the face of imminent death. Well, it is. And it's a, it's a really kind of counterintuitive thing that many people say that that's when they start living, mm. when they get a death sentence. There's a branch of psychotherapy called existential psychotherapy. It's obviously very similar to the existential um, philosophers who think that it's only by living our lives as though we could die at any time that we can kind of find meaning. So um, if we go about, as most of us do, assuming we're going to live forever, I mean, none of us wants to (laughs) confront the fact that we're not going to do that, then we're only half living. Whereas if we wake up every day thinking this might be the last time I walk out the door and get to say goodbye to my wife, then we're going to have a much more fulfilled existence. And what Breaking Bad does is it shows us a very real version of that. Who could you be? How would you live your life if you knew you might die tomorrow or very soon? Two ways you could read what you just said, I suppose, which is, you know, one in a very positive way, live every day as if if it was your last and go out there and fulfil your dreams. The other side, I suppose, is that life itself is a death sentence. Sorry, guys. There's a a famous existentialist called uh, Viktor Frankl, who was actually in the concentration camps in the Second World War. And he kind of developed a a version of existential therapy called logotherapy, where he said our primary reason for living is to find our meaning, find our purpose. And in a way, Walter finds his purpose by becoming a drug lord. I mean, it is a bit extreme, but, you know, that's the joy of the drama of it. And we see one of the big catalysts for him quite early on, uh, you know, as, as, as well as the cancer diagnosis. He he went on a ride-along. It's another American, very American thing. I can't imagine, <laughs> can't imagine jumping in a police car here. I just want to see what you guys do. But he goes in on a ride-along with his, his brother-in-law, Hank, the DEA agent, Um, to see the police do a meth lab raid, which is where he spots his ex-student, Jesse, a huge turning point. And he seems to flip pretty quickly from mild-mannered, law-abiding chemistry teacher to drug dealer. Is Is it plausible for someone to radically change with such speed? I I think that can happen. I think what is interesting is that a lot of people fear that that is what they would do. They worry that if they let their kind of darker side 
show through that it will be a slippery slope. Freud, his theory was that we all have this id, this sort of inner drive to just fulfil all our our needs for sex and... Um, Regardless of how that affects yeah, anybody else. Yeah, and he saw therapy as a way of taming the id. Another part of that approach is that we have a superego, which is basically society and morals. And the only thing that keeps the id in check is this superego, the bit of us that's always criticising, saying you mustn't do that and what will people think? And in the middle, you've got the ego, which is the healthy sense of self. It's not quite, ego's not used quite in the way that we tend to use it in, in normal life about somebody having um, too big an ego. An ego mm. is a healthy thing. You you want to feel a sense of self. You don't want to be ruled either by the superego that's constantly telling you what not to do sure. or by the id that you feel is this like rampant monster which, inside. Which of those three do we go to most regularly to sort of protect ourselves or for security? Or is it do we take bits from each? Yeah, I think it, it kind of depends whether you're a very um, controlled and uh, somebody who likes to play by the rules or whether you're somebody that's a bit more of a kind of fuck it. But you've played a character who has really had to access his shadow self, his darker self, playing Agent Blevin in Star Wars and or. I mean, how is that to, to play such a character? Within the Star Wars universe, it was relatively straightforward because I, f- I felt like everybody knows that world, including children who will be watching, you know. So to give, to give him depth, I imagined him as a coward. The main reason he does what he does is because he, he's scared of being killed, which is what could happen if you work for the Empire and you get your job wrong. It's not like working for Sainsbury's, you know, you're not, you're not going to get killed for not restocking the shelves quick enough. So that's what I brought to that to give it a little bit of, of depth. But at the end of the day, it's it's Star Wars. What was what was way tougher in a way was a show I worked on called The Split, um, which is about a family of, of divorce lawyers. And I played an emotionally and physically abusive husband. And that I found incredibly tough, being horrible to an actual human being who, to be fair to her, uh, the actor was um, Donna Eyre. She was incredibly game. She said, just, you know, just go for it. You know, I, I, I know, I know, you know, I know your real intentions. So that did make it a little easier. But I sort of accessed that part of me that just said, imagine if 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 you opted for your basest desires regardless of anybody's feelings including your children mm. and 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 this character had two children young children you know innocence and that ugliness i sort of lent into it thinking solely of the self what is the ultimate selfishness that's to take 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 and take for yourself and if anybody gets in the way you completely disregard them. That was the only way for me to make sense of it. Mm. I can't imagine being, you know, sexually or physically abusive. I just, I just can't imagine it. No, and I think at the start Walter probably can't either, Absolutely. and it's quite extraordinary to see, there. yeah, to see how quickly he can access those really dark. I mean, he he ends up killing people. Okay. He he's definitely on a slippery slope early on when he first kills Crazy Eight, the guy that they've taken hostage yes, and put in the basement. Moment. Yeah, you can see him really struggling. He does feel, not want to kill him. You feel for him. You do feel for him. And yeah. and and there's a crucial thing, I suppose, that they've thought about intently in the writing of that scene which is that 
there's a bond that appears to be building between them and then Crazy 8 goes for him mm. and he reacts and he's able to do the deed and it's very clearly self-defence. Mm. So I think for him as a character and for us as an audience, we all go, I mean, you know, that's what you have to do. That's what I, you know, if I had the, if I ha was in that situation, that's what I would have to do. Mm. And you're able to very much stay on his side. He's been a bit of a nerd all his life. Yes. And this feels a bit like the revenge of, of the, the nerd. The revenge of the nerd, He's yeah. sort of eaten a lot of shit over the course of the, the years. He obviously is a brilliant chemistry brain and came up with, um, didn't quite understand and the whole thing about he had come up with an idea with his business partner, Elliot Schwartz, but then Elliot Schwartz had gone on to make millions out of it and, and Walter had got nothing. So Walter's there with his sort of pathetic little second job as a car wash attendant uh, while Schwartz is living living the dream. And that's a huge origin story, right? Yeah. Because bringing it back to therapy, a lot of the reasons why we find ourselves on that couch you can trace back to resentments, mm. right? And what can happen, the flip side of feeling resentful and like nobody sort of sees your true worth is to become quite grandiose, to think, well, I'm going to show them. I'm actually going to be the best drug lord this state has, has seen. Yeah, and that's going to build and build and build and inflate like a huge balloon. And as we see, it's eventually, it's going to go bang. So, so let's look at exactly how Walt explodes in more ways than one. After the break. This is not meth. Well, hello there. Simon and Mark here to tell you about Indeed. Yes, Indeed is driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. If you need to hire, then you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data. And if you're busy watching all of this week's film recommendations and you have no time, then you can use Indeed for scheduling, screening and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. But Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 75% of employers claim Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other online job sites. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets, like us. Why not join the more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast? Listeners of this show will get a £100 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed. Indeed.com slash Kermode Mayo. That's indeed.com slash Kermode Mayo. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Indeed. This episode is brought to you by the curated streaming service Mubi. Mark, for our wonderful listeners who already have a Mubi account, and for those who might be thinking about getting one, could you please tell us what films they can enjoy this May? Certainly, Simon. This month, Mubi are launching their Cannes Takeover. You know how much I love Cannes. And in honour of the Cannes Film Festival, which kicks off this month, here is a selection of what they have available to stream in the UK. They have Annette, which is the Leos Carax musical, with uh, music by Sparks, which is absolutely wonderful, and Tokyo Gar, which is the film by uh, German director Wim Wenders, who travels to Tokyo to explore the world of one of his cinematic heroes, Yasujiro Ozu. That's Mubi's Can Takeover series. What else? Well, there's also Voila Varda, which is a look back on some of the best of the famous French director. There's Cleo from 5 to 7, Le Bonheur, Vagabond, The Gleaners and I, and The Beaches of Agnes. 
You can try Mubi free for 30 days at mubi.com slash Kermit Mayo. That's M-U-B-I dot com slash Kermit Mayo for a whole month of great cinema for free. Hey, it's Ben Bailey Smith here, Substitute Taker, and this episode is brought to you by Better Help. Now, a lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. If I had an extra hour slotted into my day, I'd actually get through a question, smeshtions. You know, it's, I can never quite fit the extra shows in. We all live busy lives these days. And everything seems to move at 100 miles an hour. So how do we know what to make room for? Like, how do we know what's really important when our lives are happening so quickly? Therapy can help you find what matters to you. And if you know what matters to you, you can do more of it. And isn't that why we're really here? So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and it's designed to be convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule. With over a thousand therapists in the UK already BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise. And our listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash Kermode. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Kermode. Hello, it's William and Jordan here from Help, I Sexted My Boss. And on Tuesday, our show at the London Palladium will be streamed live into cinemas. So if you want an evening full of laughs and outrageous problems and dilemmas, then come along and join us on the big screen. Help as Sex and My Boss Live is showing everywhere and everyone's welcome. Go to sexofmyboss.com slash cinema to get your tickets now. That's sexofmyboss.com slash cinema. And we're back. We're talking Walter White, Breaking Bad. A good man turned bad, depending how black and white you see the world. A number of complex things going on within this series, and we've touched on a few of them already. And I'd like to touch on sex, because I always think that, you know, sex is one of those drivers that uh, can make human beings do the craziest things. Mm. There's a moment in episode seven in reference to sex where the quote is, why was that so good? And and Walter says, because it was illegal. I think this is maybe when they had sex in public in the car. Mm. I think we've established that their sex life is less than wild. Mm-hmm. You know, suddenly it's wild. Mm-hmm. You know, what's going on here and where does the power lie? There's a couple of questions in there considering what we see him go on to. He's definitely finding his power. And of course, sex is, can be very representative of that. I mean, the first time we see Skylar and, and Walt having sex, it's so depressing. I mean, she's <laughs> she's doing her eBay um, auction at the same time and they couldn't look more kind of less that has, interested. That has to be spooning position. Yeah. There's no way she's on top <laughs> swiping through eBay. No, well, it's <laughs> it's it's just like, you know, her, her basically her climax is getting the auction, winning the auction. It's like that's so much more appealing. I can say that is a great moment. (laughs) It's up there. (laughs) Well, quite possibly up there, but not that satisfying sexually for poor old Walt, I wouldn't imagine. I mean, neither of them are into it at all. And the contrast with that and then... As Walt starts to discover his sort of his potency in all all senses of the word, they go back to sort of being teenagers and having sex in the back of his car in the school car park where they could be found out at any any time. And it's clearly they're really into it. There's absolutely no eBay shopping going on anymore. They're completely in, in the moment. 
And yeah, he he thinks it's the thrill of the illicit that is powering it. And I think it's the thrill of the illicit that powers a lot of of Walt from here on in, sexually and and otherwise. He's enjoying feeling like he's on the wrong side of of the law. I can't, I can't say that that doing it in a car would be the thing that that that, that gets me. Go- I just can't get comfortable. <laughs> constant panic about people seeing. It's it's not for me. That said, I've often had great sex either directly after an argument or in the days following mm. a, a flare up why why is that well, nobody's very turned on by the familiar and if we're with all the just, same person i should yeah, say yeah <laughs> <laughs> but but um you know, we can just tr- we all just trudge through our lives, and we stop thinking that it could be any different. And again, it's that notion of my life could end tomorrow. I've been given a death sentence. That you start to mm. seek more, and actually, seeking is um, one of our primary instincts. And in evolutionary terms, we needed to feel excited and turned on by the thought of seeking. Otherwise, we wouldn't get propelled out to go and look for food. That notion to go out and seek, to investigate, to be curious, to find the next thing floods the body with dopamine. It's not so much about getting the reward, getting the food, getting the sex, getting the the new job. It's about the search for it that right. kind of invigorates and energizes us. Because if it didn't, we wouldn't have ever bothered to go out and look for food and we would have died off as a species. And we still have mm. that. We still have that hormonal instinct to seek out the next thing. Right. So to bring it back to me and get a quick bit of free therapy... <laughs> <laughs> If you have a big flare up or an argument or something like that, then there's like a sort of fear of loss, mm, something yeah, like you're that. Seeking uh, to get, you know, get it afterwards. back. So, and then then suddenly you're seeking again, mm. and it it's like a refresher, like a, a restart almost. Yeah, which is, it, can be really sexy. Yeah, exactly. I mean, your wife may leave you if you're too horrible to her. So mm. you kind of you have to like win her back. So it's that same notion of um, trying to. Uh, retrieve something, trying to be curious again, trying to kind of get back something that might be on the verge of of being lost. Mm. All right, let's get into the murky world of a therapist's advice. You know, are we advising or are we suggesting? You know, that 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 sort of grey area. I mean, Walt takes good drugs for cancer, and he creates bad drugs. Bearing in mind, he's a he's a scientist. He never considers the harm that methamphetamine is going to do to the addicts, some of whom may be very innocent victims. As a therapist, let's say he's he's exposed that in a session. Would you try and show him that? Would you make a suggestion? Therapists do not advise or give opinions. What we can do is we can encourage people to look at the consequences Mm. of their actions. So we can challenge people on what they're doing, but we can't ever make them do anything. or We can't tell them not to do something, but we can get them to really explore what are the consequences. And... To be honest, I don't think Walt would come into therapy. At the beginning, he's sort of too, he's given up. He's, he doesn't believe that he's going to change. So he wouldn't come into therapy initially, I don't think. No, I agree. And um, then later, once he's kind of embarked on his drug spree, he doesn't want to change. He's enjoying it too much. But most people come into therapy because they do want to change. I mean, even Tony Soprano. I mean, this is why I personally love Tony more than I love Walt, because Tony wants to change. He has an awareness of the fact that he could do things differently. Mm. Walt doesn't want any of that. The two ways in which they 
even say the word family, I think, is profoundly and, and pointedly different. Mm. When Tony says it, you're right. There is a desire there to maintain something or to, to make something better mm. um, for his, his wife, for his children, for himself. Whereas increasingly, it's almost like the chorus in a terrible pop song. Everything I did, I did for my family. And every time he says it, it feels less mm. and less real and more and more trite mm. and more and more contrived. It's less and less believable. It becomes more and more about what Walt wants for Walt. And what Walt wants is to find the self-respect and the self-esteem and the sense of purpose that he felt he didn't get from his previous mm. existence. Even if Walt were to come into therapy, which I don't think he would, all you can do is get him to look at the consequences of the choices he he makes. With Walt, I don't think it's even about the consequences for other people. I think even if you were to sort of point out, oh, well, can you see what this is doing to others? I think it's only by letting him see the consequences for him that sure. he might want to change. Yeah. Like, can you see what this is costing you? Is it worth losing your humanity for? Yeah. Sadly, I think Walt probably thinks it is because he's going to die anyway. Let's pause here and think a bit more about what role pride plays in, in, in Walt's life. Because for all of us, and I don't mean, I don't want to say particularly men, but maybe I do. I think we have a thing where it's like, even if we're not old school providers or hunter gatherers, we feel like we should be. We definitely feel like our wives should be applauding us every time <laughs> we come into the kitchen and put a bowl of porridge on the table. <laughs> you know, what role do you think it plays for Walt, good or bad or, or both? It's really important to have self-esteem and to feel proud of yourself and of what you can bring to your loved ones. Walter, I think, was really missing that. He just felt like he his students didn't think he was a good chemistry teacher. Hank doesn't think he's much of a man. He can't even hold a gun properly. Skylar just clearly thinks he's not providing enough financially. So you need a certain amount in order to kind of power you through. But he then gets so much self-respect from all the wrong places. Mm. He comes up against this other drug lord, Tuco. He's terrifying. Who I mean, is this is a terrifying, terrifying guy. He's basically the human equivalent of that rock in uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yeah. You know, just rolling yeah. at you. Yeah, there's that fantastic moment from episode six. And he's going into the meeting and he's, he pretends that he's got crystal meth on him. But it's actually... There's a few MacGyver moments, sort of 18 moments with, with Walter White. You remember, oh, he's got that superpower of being a scientist. And it's it's very much not meth. It's, it's something else. And he chucks it across the room and chaos ensues. The fact that Walt yeah. sort of wins, he I does. guess, yeah. against him. It's huge. He suddenly thinks, oh, my God, you know, I'm just going to push this and push this. And not only does he kind of win out over Tuco, but he starts saying, no, I want more money. I want more drugs. He's like pushing the boundary at every stage. He's got nothing left to lose, really. So that is, again, the id run rampant. Mm. Um, we, we need a healthy sense of balance. And he loses his sense of balance, I think. Yeah. Um, there's an earlier episode in series one where his son Walt Jr. is being laughed at by some older boys That's in a clothes right, in shop. shop. Yeah. yeah. And Walt goes out and 
comes back in and basically lays into them. And Walt Jr. and Skylar can't believe what they're seeing. They're so surprised. This is so out of character. And you see it in Walt's face. He's like, he's smiling. His whole body's like vibrating with Mm. the excitement of coming alive again. And that is him starting to get a sense of pride in himself. So there's, there's a tipping point where, yes, he needed more because he was so downtrodden, but it just goes too far. Takes it way too far. Actually, you know what? Let's listen to a quick clip now where Walter does come out and defend his son. Hey, hey mommy, I think I pinched a loaf in my brand new big boy pants. What are you doing? What's wrong, Chief? Having a little trouble walking? Get off me! Get off me! I'll mess you up, man. Well, you'll have one shot. You better make it good. What, are you waiting for your girlfriends? You better go. You better go. Take it. Take your shot. Take it! Come on. Come on. Come on, let's get out of here. Let's go. Psycho. Yeah, and you, you see it represented as well, I suppose, in, you know, the way he refuses to take Elliot's money, refuses to take Hank's support. But Hank is an interesting one. In a way, more than Elliot, because we understand Elliot is like the superhero origin story. This is, you know, somebody he feels has forsaken him um, or Gretchen, who's a great character in this, too. Whereas with Hank, it's like having a constant actual superhero right there in your living room for everyone to see. Oh, here's what a man looks like. (laughs) But again, it's not this um, idea of somebody's all good and somebody's all bad. Mm. It just doesn't play out because we see Hank is not immune to having the odd illegal Cuban cigar. His wife's got her little kleptomania thing going on the side. He's also very casually racist. Which it's, it's the other true. white characters aren't. Yeah. Um, no, they've, they've all got their shadow side, which mm. is actually another way of looking at it. I was talking about Freud's theory of id, ego and superego. Jung, another early um, psychoanalyst, he called it the shadow side. He looked at it more um, in esoteric terms, really. He said, you know, we, we kind of yearn for the light and for individuation, finding our sort of best selves, to put it in modern day parlance. And then we all have our shadow side, the bit of us that we don't want to allow out. We don't want any light to fall on it. But interestingly, it's also for the good characters to sort of find their bad side. We've also got to acknowledge that the so-called bad characters have a good side. And I think Jesse is the brilliant kind of mirror image of that. Because we like to think of Jesse... His, his drug-making partner as, um, you know, kind of irredeemably um, hopeless. But in fact, Jesse does try to better himself. He tries to go out and go straight and get a job. And he's got this younger brother who seems to be the ideal kid. You know, he gets great grades and the parents seem to adore him. Um, he's smoking pot on the side. And Jesse, who's supposedly the awful one, he takes the rap for it. Jesse has some really good bits. He's got a huge heart. You always feel for him because... He never loses his humanity. Mm-hmm. He, he makes the wrong decisions all the time, of course, but he's he's worried about how other people might feel. He mourns uh, uh, victims, even people who've been victimised. I promised underpants at the top of this show. I promised <laughs> yeah. pants. Uh, I'm not getting mine out. So let's talk about 
Heisenberg's pants. Let's talk about Walter White's pants. They're a recurring sort of almost motif, aren't mm, they? Yeah. What they, do they mean? <laughs> yeah, I mean, the opening scene is so funny. It's him in his underpants in his shirt and he's kind of like driving like a nutcase through the desert after his first encounter with trying to cook meth. But yeah, he keeps, we keep seeing him in, in the worst Underpants imaginable, these yeah. awful like, white grimy, wife. Rats. Not even tight. You know, if they were <laughs> no, tighter, the almost they'd be better. It's the bagginess. And, oh, it's two things, Sash. It's the bagginess <laughs> and the fact that his shirt is still partially tucked in. <laughs> I know, which makes him look like a little boy shirt as well. Into the pants unless you're five years old. Yeah, <laughs> I think it, it shows how low he's he's come. Really, it's almost like the old Walter had to die in order for the new Walter to be reborn. Yeah. So. So I think it symbolises Walter having reached his lowest ebb. He's there stripped practically naked and he has to kind of re- rebirth himself into Heisenberg. I mean, we haven't mentioned Heisenberg is the his alter yeah, ego. Sure, yeah, it's the, it's said, the drug yeah. name that he takes to distinguish, you know, mild-mannered Walter White from sort of superhero Heisenberg. And, and I suppose create an emotional distance. Yeah. Shades. Yeah. yeah. Black hat. Yeah. Shaved head. Yeah. Which, you know... We, as he starts to get better, we realise he doesn't actually, no. he doesn't need to be bald. It's a, no. It becomes a choice. It does. He looks harder, and he does. Mm. He looks scarier, and he likes looking plenty. harder. He likes all. He likes to have an air of menace about absolutely. him. Absolutely, mm. absolutely, and it, you know, it plays on his arrival into any room. Mm. I remember studying media studies at, at A level. There was a lesson we did on uh, on the man in the hat, and it was looking at the significance of hats <laughs> in in movies and and their extension of the sort of of male pride wow. male importance uh threat and power they were showing us films that we all knew about mm. indiana jones was mm. i think where it started he always goes back and gets his hat even when his life is at risk mm. he gets the hat oh. and it's it, they were saying it's like an old western trope it's like with the hat on they mm. feel like a bit taller mm. a bit more of a presence and just more of a man. Yeah. You know, that's the main thing. Interesting that he has a hat, but he's also got the, the polar opposite, the pants. The, yes. <laughs> these these horribly vulnerable pants that, that, that show the sort of pathetic, like you say, yeah. old Walt that he's trying to distance himself so far from. Yeah, and maybe that's why they are white and horrible. Maybe I hadn't really thought of that. He's called Walter White and there's a yeah. lot of, you know, light and dark kind of metaphors going on. Maybe it's the white underpants versus the black hat. Maybe those are the two extremes of Walt. Yeah, and we, we even have the direct comparison of him and Walt Whitman. Mm, uh, yeah. You know, the two different WWs, which of course end up being... You know, spoiler alert! One of the one of the huge giveaways of 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 who Heisenberg really mm. is, that natural comparison of him and this great poet, this great mm. intellect, and mm. you know, he definitely fancies himself <laughs> as a great intellect. Yeah. He, he's he's playing street politics when he doesn't understand the street. Jesse actually knows mm. those things way better. Yeah. There's no way Walt is taking advice from Jesse no. or anybody else, which, again, coming full circle, is mm-hmm. why he would never actually be in the reception yeah. of your office. <laughs> no, sadly. Thumbing through a, a Women's Weekly. <laughs> <laughs> if you had to report back, what, what are we taking away from it? an in-depth, deep dive into, into Walter White? We all have a shadow side. It's you can't have light without dark. We all have the bits of ourselves that we're a bit ashamed of. 
if we never let them out, then they're going to explode out in the way that they've exploded out of Walt. So I think, yeah. So I think if Walt had been less nerdy, less pathetic, less hopeless earlier in his life, his resentment wouldn't have built to the point that it does. So I think had he come into therapy earlier, had he confided more in Skylar, as as you said, if he'd told his friends, oh, actually, I'm feeling a bit undervalued or I've, he would have got that um, a better mirror back. He would have, mm. as you have with your friends, they've said, oh, no, I've also had those sort of problems. And then you don't feel so alone or so abnormal. I don't think he's ever let it out. So it explodes out. So I think... For me, one of the takeaways is don't let it get to that point. Don't wait for a death sentence to start admitting to the bits of you that you don't actually like very much, admitting to your lack of self-respect and just say, this is how I feel and be a bit more honest and then it won't explode out. And rock bottom is actually an opportunity. Absolutely. Rather than a a reason to go, well, I'm at rock bottom, so fuck it. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, man. Well, I like that a lot. I I think we've dug pretty deep with with a Walt. Mr. White. I love the way Jesse calls him Mr. White, like right to the bitter end. (laughs) I know. But Mr. White. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Listen, any other characters, iconic characters, I'd love to do Skylar one day, Mm, to be honest. She is fantastic. She has her own arc. I mean, she changes a hell of a lot as well. So anyone else you'd like to see Skylar or otherwise on the couch, please do get in touch. You can email us at shrinktheBox at somethingelse.com. That's shrinktheBox at something without the G because we're really cool here. Else.com. And please do follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Amazon, you know, wherever you get your podcasts and get the new episodes and share them with your friends. Leave us a little review. Let us know what you think about the show. Uh, and if you want to listen to Shrink the Box ad free, like a true G, then subscribe to Extra Takes. Uh, your subscription gets you ad free episodes of this show. Plus, ad-free episodes and access to weekly subscriber exclusive extra episodes from our good friends over at Kermode and Mayo's Take. Um, So start your free trial now by clicking try free at the top of the Shrink the Box show page on Apple Podcasts or by visiting extratakes.com. Thank you to our tip top production team. Production management is Lily Hambly. The assistant producer is Bashak Erton. Social media is Jonathan Imieri. The studio engineer is Jay Beale. And mix engineer is Gulliver Tickle. The senior producer is Selena Reem. And executive producer is Simon Paul. Sasha, what client have you got booked in for next week? Well, we're about to hear a clip of somebody being interviewed by Life magazine and there are camera shutter noises in the background. So see if you recognise this. Hmm. They're just pieces. And anyway, it was the board I noticed first. The board? Yes. It's an entire world of just 64 squares. I feel safe in it. I can control it. I can dominate it. And it's predictable. So if I get hurt, I only have myself to blame. Mm, okay, all right. The clues are all in there. Life reflected through a chessboard. It has to be Beth Harmon from The Queen's Gambit. There is so much to dig into with her. There really is. I mean, we've got loss, trauma, mm-hmm. addiction, attachment, detachment again. And it's all available on Netflix if you want to re-watch before we talk about it next week. I really wish I was one of those, like, 
problematic troubled people who also had like an incredible like superpower <laughs> like Beth Harmon mm. it really takes the edge off yeah. it's a heady mix I can tell you that much what's going on with Beth if you haven't watched The Queen's Gambit I can tell you it's, it's also funny it's glamorous the chess matches are actually really gripping often they get sports and games really wrong in, mm. in, in, in movies and TV but they're, I they're, thought they're great and even if you don't play it's, it, it's fascinating it looks incredible the production design is phenomenal i didn't actually know this before i watched it but it's based on a book by walter tevis of the same name it's worth checking out he had uh, a lot of the same experiences as beth so hopefully we can dig into a little bit of that too and he consulted actual chess grandmasters to write the book and the writer director of the queen's gambit scott frank said that anya taylor joy and all the chess playing actors memorized and played every match even the speed rounds, which wow. is mental because that... being an actor myself, I mm. could not be asked to learn any of that. <laughs> I just put it in someone else's hands, you know? I was going to say that shows commitment. Yeah, maybe one day, you know, but I just don't see it. I love the pub too much. Mm. Yeah. In fact, I think it's probably about time we hit the pub, Sash. So it's it time is. to say goodbye. Goodbye. See you next week. Now, for all my fellow nerds out there who actually sit and watch the credits because we respect who made things, here's the information for the, all the brilliant moments we played, which are all from series one of Breaking Bad. The opening clip where Walter White, played by Brian Cranston, and Jesse Pinkman, Aaron Paul, discuss what to do with the dead body and a drug dealer in their basement, that's from Cats in the Bag, episode two, written by Vince Gilligan and directed by Adam Bernstein. The explosion scene we heard just before the break where Walt visits the drug lord Tuco is from Crazy Handful of Nothing, uh, episode six, written by Vince Gilligan and George Mastras and directed by Bronwyn Hughes. And the scene where Walt defends his son in the store, that's episode one, written and directed by Vince Gilligan. Breaking Bad is made by Highbridge and Granvia Productions in association with Sony Pictures for American Movie Classics, available to stream on Netflix. Thank you for listening and see you next week.